of Advent. Advent means a coming, and uh, the church lives between the two Advents, has seen the first, awaits the second. And um, this is something that Jesus didn't require for the church to celebrate, but it seems like a good thing to do, and we're free to do that. So we do recognize these Sundays of Advent. And uh, we've been in the Old Testament the last two Sundays. We're going to be in the New Testament this morning in the first chapter of the New Testament, Matthew 1. And um, the, the portions I'm going to preach from are there in the bulletin. I'm going to be looking at some, not all, of Matthew chapter 1. When, uh, when I was little and read the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, it uh, made a big impression on me. I still kind of revisit it, re- reread it from time to time. One thing that an English child would know that I didn't know until I read the Chronicles of Narnia, I, can't, I, I think it's in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, is that Lewis mentioned just in passing that, uh, that the Britons used to believe that Arthur would come back, that King Arthur would come back. And when, In fact, when Lewis mentions that, he says in parentheses, and I say the sooner the better. And it's interesting that there's a promise in the Old Testament that for an Israelite would really be almost exactly like that, if not greater. Now, if you're visiting, again, welcome, glad you're here. And uh, we've we've been studying through the last book of the Bible, Revelation, this fall. We're taking a break for Advent to look at um, some texts related to that. But a book of the Old Testament that we've, we've referred back to a lot as we've been looking in Revelation is Ezekiel. And lots of visions, lots of these images that we bump into in Revelation, you also see them earlier in Ezekiel. Well, in Ezekiel chapter 34, there was a promise from God. God promised, I'm going to send David back. Now, that would be as big or bigger for an Israelite than a a Brit being told, Arthur is actually going to come back in time and space, literally. What does that mean? And, and the note that the New Testament begins on is addressing how could that happen? Because strictly speaking, David the man did not come back, but God does not break his promises. So what did the promise mean? And really, that's the starting note of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now what follows for several verses is a long genealogy that has this conclusion, verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Then in verse 18... Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we want to pray what the psalmist prayed, that you would enable us to behold wonderful things from your word. Whatever it is in us that keeps us from seeing what is wonderful, would you remove it? Would you overcome it? Would you let the floodgates flow so that we behold wonderful things from your word? And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Before my family lived uh, here in Greenville, we lived in Nashville and I was talking with a friend of mine one day in Nashville as a Christian. And this is one of those moments where someone says a lot in a little bit of space. My friend used a theological term, and the term is total depravity. Total depravity is a theological term, and it's a description of the effect of sin on people. The adjective total doesn't mean degree. Total depravity doesn't mean human beings are as depraved as they could be. What it means is extent. It means that the effects of sin and evil have touched every aspect of our human lives. And my friend just said this. He said, you know, and he'd grown up, he had good teaching and knew those kind of terms. He said, you know, I used to just believe in total depravity and now it's really starting to embarrass me. And he commented a little bit about what he meant. And I think instinctively a lot of you know what he meant. He just said, I just look at how I affect my wife and my children. And it's awful. And I know this guy. This is a great guy. He's a good husband and a good dad and um, good townsperson. But he just said, you know, just the reality is when you thrust a bunch of sinners together, whether that's a workplace or a project, or a nonprofit, or a family. We just start hurting each other. I mean, it, 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 one of you, I will not say who, but, but one of you this week at lunch almost used that exact phrase, just, there's nothing I can't ruin, or at least taint if I touch it. That's the human condition, and... And I want to say this on the front end. In saying that, we're talking about what we could file under the category bad news. Now, we're going to get to the good news. But this is the thing. If, if we don't really, even at this time of year, come to grips with the bad news, then the celebration of, of God becoming man, the incarnation, is really sort of tradition and a nicety rather than what it really is biblically. It's a rescue. The incarnation is a rescue because of our condition and a rescue in our condition. What I want to look at this morning is this. I want to look, you know, this, this, the New Testament starts with a genealogy, and that's the kind of thing that many a person has said, okay, this year I'm going to read the New Testament. And they got about ten verses into a genealogy and went, I think I'll get a sandwich. You know, like this, these are the things that bog us down in the Bible. But the Bible starts with a lineage. 
And I want to think about that this morning in two ways. Lineage for us is the problem. While also, lineage is the answer. Lineage is the problem and lineage is the answer. Now, first off, lineage is the problem. Let's look at two things. Let's look at, just in this passage, uh, the parts that we're drawing from. There's an apparent problem, and then there's the real problem. Now, what's the apparent problem? Look in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Now, quick note on that, and you may have heard this background before. Betrothal in that setting, first century Judea, was more than our engagement. It was so binding that, let's say, if Joseph had died before they were married, just while they were betrothed, Mary would legally be considered a widow. Much more binding, much more formal. Really, it's just what you are is married. You just have not had the ceremony and the consummation yet. That's their status, okay? When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together... She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, we have to acknowledge this. Joseph has never heard of the virgin birth. We don't know how old he is, but he's old enough to know how life works. I'm trying to be as appropriate here as I can. He knows of only one way that babies come into the world. He probably did not know Mary that well. And we tend to read our own culture into the text, so we probably thought they dated a lot and, you know, a lot of just whatever. No, in that setting, a lot of supervision. You're not alone in private for obvious reasons. So he he knows something about Mary. Probably their families know each other well, but he, you know, is this in character or out? He may not know, and he knows that she's pregnant. Now, I don't want to spend the whole sermon on this, but could we... Just pause for a second and reflect on Joseph's response. This is not the main point of the sermon. But when Matthew says that Joseph was a just man, that that term just shows up more in the Gospel of Matthew. Here's the thing. The Pharisees thought they were just because, you know, they towed the line. And, you know, we've got to be principled. And there's biblical standards that we've got to live by. And that is true. And Joseph reflected that in the sense that, you know, I don't think I want to hitch my wagon of marriage to a woman that I can't trust. But the way he was going to handle it was merciful. He was going to handle it in a way not to embarrass her. And right out of the gates in Matthew 1, Matthew's letting us see, you want to know what a just man looks like? It looks like someone who reveres God's holiness and keeps the law of God, but extends mercy to people who break it i.e., he wasn't perfect, but God gave Jesus a great earthly dad. And we don't worship him, but he was a good guy. Well, that's the apparent problem. What's the real problem, biblically speaking? The real problem is this big genealogy that's not in the text. Let me give you a snapshot of this. And again, of all things, the first chapter in the New Testament where the Messiah, humanly speaking, comes from, the names that show up there are unbelievable. It's not like wonderful person after wonderful person after wonderful person. They are just failures and wicked people. 
This is not printed in the bulletin, but if you have your Bible, in verse 10 of Matthew 1, in the genealogy, let me give you just one name as an example. One of Jesus' ancestors was a king of Judah named Manasseh. Manasseh was so evil that God, I'm paraphrasing here, God said something to the effect of the nations that used to occupy the promised land that I sent my people in to displace because they were so wicked and so immoral. Manasseh, king in my city of Jerusalem, has now outdone them in wickedness. Last night we had a, we had a, a presentation here uh, with lots of scripture and, and the art of Chris Coley. And one of, one of his pieces, actually two, showed Israelites in front of this bull-like figure offering their children into fire. That was a depiction of the god Molech. Manasseh led the people of Israel into worshiping Molech and commended it. That's one of Jesus' ancestors. That's one of Joseph's ancestors. Jesus doesn't share blood with him. Joseph does. Where the Bible could have played down the wickedness of this human line, it lets you see some of it. It's a picture of the human condition for anybody's line. Because we just said Joseph was a fine man. But let me give you a picture of this from the Old Testament. Because I think this just something about this visually drives home our problem. When King David um, had been on the run from King Saul, and then King Saul is dispatched, and David's going to come back into Jerusalem and not be on the run and establish his kingdom and sit on his throne... Part of that process was to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. And it was supposed to be carried on poles by priests. And I guess just for convenience sake, people put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart and it was pulled by oxen to Jerusalem. And along the way, the oxen stumbled. It made apparently the cart wobble. And the Ark of the Covenant was about to fall onto the dirt. And there's a man walking beside the cart named Uzzah. And Uzzah did what any one of us would have done. I think 100 out of 100 of us, even if you'd heard this story, you would do this. This is the sacred object, and God said build it, but I mean, this is the sacred object of Israel, the unique special presence of God. It's about to fall on the dirt road. Uzzah throws his hand up, and the Lord strikes him dead. And the text is very clear. He wasn't killed by it falling on him. The Lord struck him dead. And David comes over and sees it, and he names the spot Perez Uzzah, outbreak against Uzzah. God does not apologize. Now, again, we would have done the same thing, but what was Uzzah's just instantaneous thinking? Of course, it's better for me to touch it than for the ark to touch the soil. And God did not share that assumption. The ground is cursed because of Adam's sin, but the ground does not sin. This sins. Death. Isn't that incredible? I mean, I, I mean just even thinking about this this week, I was thinking about dogs. You know, dogs are man's best friend. Cat lovers, I support you, but ma- dogs, I'm, I'm for you. Dogs are man's best friend. And, you know, and because we love dogs and because they just get all in our lives, we let, 
we let them contaminate us, right? I mean, we let them come in with their dirt and their mud and, and they shed and they bring in fleas. And we'll put up with it because we love them. But, but because we love them, we sort of feel like, um, oh, we love them, but because we want to have a clean house, we kind of feel like they contaminate us. And if I may say it this way, heaven would not really look at it that way. That when we touch the dog, from a heavenly point of view, we contaminate it. Amazing. Our lineage is one of contamination. It started with the sin of Adam, and it has been passed down person to person to person to person. And it shows up in things like the very person that you love, friend, relative, child, spouse. The person you love, you hurt. And even as you watch yourself hurt them and you commit yourself, I'm not going to do that again, you'll keep doing it. We'll keep doing it. That's the contamination. Even if God has done everything in the world to say, if you want the joy that you really crave, come to me and I will charge you nothing. I won't be like idols. I'll charge you nothing and I'll give you everything. And still deep down in us is the, you know, I just, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. That's the contamination. Lineage is the problem. And... Starting note of the New Testament is lineage is the answer. First verse of the New Testament. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And if you look at this genealogy, it does something interesting. Now, Matthew, it's typically agreed, is writing for a more Jewish audience. Not strictly, but that's the emphasis. And so he's probably thinking about all those genealogies that you get in his Bible, our Old Testament. But in those genealogies, the way they work is it says a name, it starts there, and then it goes forward. And this one doesn't do that. It says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham, and then it starts way back with Abraham, and it moves forward, and it ends with Jesus Christ rather than start with him. Why is Matthew doing that? What is he conveying? He's conveying this. All those plans that were unfolding through these people's lives, all those promises that came to them that they saw in part answered, but not the fullness of what God promised. All that was working toward a goal and a fulfillment, and the goal and fulfillment has a name. It's the name Jesus Christ. Son of David, son of Abraham. I want, I'm just For time's sake, I want to focus on the David part. Because when you read the passages associated with Christmas, David is just everywhere. You would think he's like in the stable. David's name keeps showing up. Uh, Look in verse 20 in our passage. We just learned from the genealogy, Joseph's daddy was named Jacob. Whether he was alive when Jesus was born, we don't know. But Jesus had a grandfather. It's kind of cool to say that. Jesus had a grandfather named Jacob. But when the angel speaks to Joseph, how does he address him? Verse 20. Joseph, son of... What? Not Jacob. Son of David. And you read these accounts that we read during this time of year that there's this tax that has to be paid and Joseph is of the house of David. And so he goes to Bethlehem because Bethlehem is the city of David. In Luke, 
when the angel appears to Mary, one of the things he says to her is that this son that you're going to bear is going to sit on the throne of his father, David. And get this. A, a masterpiece of explaining the gospel in the New Testament is Romans. And one of the first assertions that Paul makes at the beginning of Romans about Jesus is that he was descended from David according to the flesh. One of the first things he tells us. Why is that so important? <clears throat> David was the golden king. There were other kings, but David was the golden king. And David was the man to whom God promised, I'm going to establish a house for you. You wanted to build me a house. I'll build you a house. It will be a dynasty house. And so one of your seed will sit on the throne and his kingdom will be established forever. You, the conquering king. Now you get snippets of that in the life of David. But the contamination shows up too. He's a bad parent. He commits adultery. He has one of his most faithful committed men murdered. He makes, other, he, he makes a mistake that costs thousands of people's lives when God sends a plague on David's bad decision. There's the contamination. Well, then maybe it's his son, and his son in some ways was a golden king, super wise, super competent, super wealthy, nation streaming to him, and then the contamination kicks in. And then from there, the wheels of that dynasty just come off. And what are you seeing? On the one hand, God has a plan, but on the other hand, they are affected by that contamination. But we still need the king that we can trust. We still need the king that can conquer our enemies. When we hear save, we think, become a Christian. When God's people heard save, they thought, overcome our enemies. God's people need a conqueror over their enemies. How is lineage the answer? And think about this. Think about what Jesus isn't and what he is. He's not physically of the bloodline of Joseph, i.e. the bloodline of David. And this is a great time of year to say this. The virgin birth is a core Christian claim. How do you see it in the text? Verse 16. Excuse me, verse 18. Nope, verse 16. I was right. In that genealogy, there's a verb for born, 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 born. It's an active Greek verb. You get to verse 16. It says, the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born. It's the first passive verb in the list. Now, mothers, I understand that no childbirth is passive. Okay, it's just so that was said out loud. But I mean that there was the sense in a completely unique way this happened unto this family. Verse 18, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? We don't know. What the angel said to Mary is, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you and you'll bear a son. Does that explain how it works? No. But it's the picture, if we can put it this way, 
that when first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing, materiality, whatever it looked like. Second verse of the Bible, the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters, and then things start to happen. Creation is ordered. That where there is materiality, the body, the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Spirit hovers over her, and it's the new creation, and the one who will usher in the new creation. How he did it, we don't know, but that's what he does. And what that means is this, the line of contamination in Jesus was broken. He did not show up with that original contamination, original sin, if you know that term. And he did not create contamination through one action or one attitude. Break with the line. But here's the thing. When Joseph does what the angel says and says, all right, I don't understand any of this, but Mary will be my wife and this baby will be my baby. It's really tantamount to an adoption. He really becomes legally, socially, in the eyes of God, Joseph's son, which means he really legally is of the line of David, which means he is the line uh, in the line of the conquering king. Why did the apostles want us to see this? We could, we could tackle that question in a lot of ways, but can we just at least say it this way? You know, everybody here has a king. No one, no one in this room uh, rises to the occasion of buying into monarchy. All of us buy into monarchy, not in our government. But there's something or someone that we're looking to to conquer our problems. It can be all kinds of things. And we probably won't say it out loud, but deep down in our heart of hearts, we're looking to this thing to conquer the effects of all this contamination. It can be me being disciplined, me being on top of things, me being scheduled, me being hardworking, me being able to look ahead and make lists and be on top of things. If you have those qualities, the rest of us need you desperately, and we commend you. But does it make the contamination go away? Have you found in your experience that it conquers it? It can be, it can be having the home you want. I will have my fortress of solitude. It will look like I want it to look. It will be my haven. It will be where I feel good. It will be where I feel safe. Has it shielded you from the contamination? Or does it manifest itself even in the house? It could be exercise. It could be medication. It could be romance. It could be my intellect something that I'm looking to to make the bad things go away. And everybody could tell their version of this, but everyone's experience is going to be the same. Nothing conquers it. We desperately need a conquering king. What does it mean that Jesus is Savior? The angel says, Joseph, don't think up a name. And do not use a name from your past. Here's the name that he's to be assigned. And Joseph obeys. His name is Jesus. In Hebrew, that would be something like Yeshua. 
which means Yahweh saves. Saves from what? Anybody in the first century who was a Jew would have thought from Romans and their heavy hand. Is that what the angel says? Verse 21, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus came to conquer sins. Not generic abstract sin. Sins. Uh, One of the stories that emerged from the shooting in Newtown, Connecticut, did you read about the teacher Victoria Soto? 20-something-year-old teacher. There were all kinds of acts of heroism, but hers was that as she heard something happening, she placed, I think, 16 children into closets. And then when the gunman came in, she placed herself between the gunman and the children and said the children were at another activity, and she was gunned down. And those children lived. That's rescue. That's saving. That is substitution. To place yourself between the harm and those whom you love. The conquering king, if I can put it this way, at the end of Matthew, he takes a cup and he says, This cup is the covenant in my blood. And when these guys are taking what they think is the Passover, they're thinking, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, God, God's the covenant God. Israel's the covenant people. And God made a covenant at Mount Sinai, and this is good covenant stuff. And yes, cup of the covenant. And that is not what he's saying. He's saying, if contaminated people are going to live in the presence of a perfect God, someone has to do something about the contamination. Someone has to do something about this once and for all. And the only thing that's going to take care of that is the blood of someone who is you and is not you. Fully human, but uncontaminated himself. If I have sin, I cannot be a substitute for sinners. An uncontaminated man, but a man of the house of David to go against the great enemy. The great enemy is not Rome. The great enemy is not gunmen. The great enemy is not them. The great enemy is our sin and the forces of evil unseen. And our conquering king on the cross defeated both and fulfilled all the promises And let me end by saying this. Sometimes when a preacher preaches, there are heavy applications to make. We need to make this change. We need to think about this. This behavior needs to change. And I hope you're thinking about that all the time. But the thing that Christian preachers are supposed to preach is the gospel. The great thing that we are to preach is not, now you go do this. The great thing that we preach is, here's what he did. Well, here's what he did. He placed himself between the justice of God and the contaminated people who deserved the justice. 
And he did it out of love to conquer sin and evil. And I will give this application before I pray. If you don't yet believe that, I just really, I know we say this, but I I just love that you're here. And it thrills us. And I want you to keep coming. But what I really would love for you to do is to come to God with your questions and your doubts and say, I don't know how to put all these pieces together, but I know this. I see the effects of contamination and I cannot fix it. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me through your son, the son of David, and he will. If you have believed that and you do believe that, here's my reminder to you. You are not your Savior. Your Bible reading, your prayer, our attendance here, our disciplines, our scheduling do not save us. All those are good things that God can work through. But we are saved by Christ, our son of David, our son of Abraham, the son of God who loves us. Amen. Let's pray together. We praise you, King Jesus. We love you. It's amazing. It's amazing that you became man and you remain man for the likes of us. We cannot get our minds around it. Oh Lord, if we are trying to conquer our own sin with our own energy and strength and resolve, have mercy on us and show us that it's just a fool's errand, that this folly is wearing us out. Grant us belief and grant us repentance. And turn us to you and let us see that you are the blessed Savior, Son of David, fulfillment of all the promises. We pray this in your name. Amen.